Uh, here's how this works is I want to... Um, I'm not a professional preacher. But I got a great God that I want to talk to you about. And I want to preach Christ to you and preach God, the glory of God, out of Genesis chapter 1 to you today. And so the way this works is you come alongside this, and this is a time just like we're worshiping God just now in song, and we're, we're worshiping His holy name. And then we come together now, and we're looking at the Word of God about the Creator of the universe. And we come together and we worship God. So I invite you into that to come alongside me as we open up God's Word and let's worship God. Alright, so you can turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. We're walking through the book of Genesis together. We just started last week. Last week we did an introduction to Genesis and, uh, and did the, walked into the first two verses there. And so today, as you see at the top of your study guide, we're going verses 3 through 23. And this is the creation account. It's days 1 through 5. First five days of the creation account here. So let's read it, and then we'll pray. And I just remind you that we're reading God's Word. All Scripture is God-breathed. Words breathed out by God. Hear them. Verse 3. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness and called the light day. And the darkness He called night. So evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters He called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to His kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day. The lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, 
and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So let's pray because what can happen is you can read something as amazing as what we just read that shows the glory of God like no other and we can just go right by it and miss it. So let's go to God in prayer right now and ask Him, God, help us to see Your glory. Let's pray. Father, thank You that we can come before You now and we can open Your Word. And God, we know so many of us here, God, know and believe at least intellectually, that You are a great and mighty and all-powerful and all-wise God. God, we want to get to a place where we, we feel that deep in our affections, God, that we love You, Lord, for who You are. So help us, God, even now. Please help us even now. That as we walk slowly through Your Word, looking at who You are, beholding Your glory, God, help us to see Open our spiritual eyes. Open our spiritual ears, God. Open the eyes of our heart that we might see wondrous things from Your law. God, help me to do the impossible. To describe You. The, un the indescribable One. Help me to describe You, Lord, from Your Word. And God, I pray that You help every hearer here. To love you more as we end this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so what I want to do is we're going through verses 3 through 23, like, like I've already said, first five days of creation. Uh, I want to start off by giving sort of a, an overview of the whole creation account. That's chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 3. Just kind of an overview of some things that are in the whole creation count, all of chapter 1 into. Verse 3 of chapter 2, okay, seven-day creation account, okay? Now, I want to tell you this. This is, this is the main, I mean, this is it right here, okay, main thing. This is mainly about the exaltation of God. I talked to you a little bit about that last time we were going through Genesis, or last time, or last Sunday. But this is mainly about the exaltation of God. He is the object of the very first sentence, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, This is mainly about His glory, about His exaltation. As I told you last week, Elohim, the word for God there, in this creation account, which is 34 verses, if you bring it into verse uh, chapter 2, it, it says Elohim for the name of God 38 times in 34 verses. Elohim, Elohim, Elohim. This is about the exaltation of our God. The creation account is not mainly intended to give you uh, little minute details about how the universe came into existence. It's one page. Okay? So it's not meant mainly to give you those minute details about how the universe came into existence, although I will say that those things are intriguing and there are some instructive things in this chapter about that. But this chapter is mainly about the exaltation of God. So God gives us exactly what we need to hear about how He created all things. Now you imagine being a part. Just imagine this. Imagine you're a part of the people of Israel. And you're coming out of Egypt. Moses is coming. You're coming out of Egypt in the, in the exodus of God's people 
out of Egypt. You're part of that crew, okay? You've just left Egypt where there are a multitude of false gods and pitiful idols. And this is what you've left. False gods that you can't even count. And you've just left Egypt. And maybe you're one of those who've, who've begun to worship like the Egyptians. You started to worship like them and you bowed down to the sun god. And you bowed down to the moon god. And you started to, to be conformed to this wicked idolatry. And then here comes Moses. And Moses pulls the people of God out of Egypt by the power of God. And he says things to them like this. Listen to what Moses said to them. He says, Take careful heed to yourselves, lest you act corruptly and make yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure. The likeness of male and female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air. The likeness of anything that creeps on the ground or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven and when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be His people. And He says this to him in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And He's letting them know about this. Beware, all those gods are in Egypt. Beware lest you bow down to those false gods like they did. And then Moses writes out this account. He gets this account out. The Word of God is given to him by God. He writes out and he takes the book of Genesis. And for the first time, the people of God have the creation account in the book of Genesis. And you think about what that does. That tells you that the one true God has created all these things that you have been warned not to bow down and worship. The one true God has created all the things that the Egyptians have looked at for centuries and bowed down to them as God. So you, be, you begin to have thoughts like this. You start having thoughts like this. Who, who are these gods of light and darkness? The one true God created light and darkness with ease according to the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. Who are these gods of the skies? The one true God is the creator of the blue sky. Who is this ocean God? Our God created the ocean with His breath. What is this nonsense about sacrificing to sun gods and moon gods who will make your crops grow possibly? What is this all about? The one true God is the creator of the sun and the creator of the moon. And He's the one that makes the crops grow. As you read the Genesis 1 account... Why are you bowing down to fertility gods? Why are you doing this? The one true God makes man. The one true God makes woman. And He's the one that gives the ability to have children. He is the one true God. As you read Genesis 1. What, what are these idols in the forms of sea creatures and birds and land animals? This stuff is silly. Why are your affections on these false gods? God created them all. This is what you get as you read through Genesis chapter 1. Worship Him. Worship Him. So imagine you're a part of the people of Israel and you read for the first time and you hear it read publicly the Genesis 1 account and you're stirred up in your soul. I will not worship false gods. I will worship the God of the universe. 
The creation account is an idol killer because God Almighty, the one true God, is exalted as the one that created all things and crushes idols under His feet. So Genesis chapter 1 is an idol killer and it's still, it's still an idol killer today. Genesis 1 is still an idol killer today. What are your, what are your modern day idols? I know you don't bow down to little statues of fish. I know you don't bow down or pray to the sun or pray to the moon. But what are your idols even today? What gets your attention above God? What has your affections more than God Almighty? Let the creation account come in today and destroy all your silly idols and draw all your attention to the Almighty God who's creator of the universe and let all your affections land on Him as we go through Genesis 1 today. This is about the exaltation of God. The creation, amount is, the, the creation account is mainly about exalting God. Therefore, it is meant to incite worship in us. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 104 is a creation psalm written just as if somebody's reading the creation account and they write this song as praise to our God. It's meant to incite worship. The creation account is mainly about exalting God. Therefore, it's meant to incite in us obedience to God and trust in God. How could you not trust the Creator of the universe? I'll never forget the time there was a, a guy who was living, a friend of mine, living in a Muslim country. Okay, 99% Muslim country. And he was coming under persecution. He was suffering for his faith. And I'm talking to him over the phone. I said, I said you doing okay, man? Everything okay? And he very simply says, My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He saw it. Trust in God. I will obey Him. He's the Creator. He is my Maker. I will obey Him and I will trust Him. The creation account is mainly about exalting God. Therefore, it's meant to produce humility in us. Humility in humans, right? Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? creates humility in us. This is mainly about the exaltation of God. I want you to think about this. Before we dig in verse by verse, just think of the overview of this creation account, okay? In the creation account, we see the creative power of God's Word. We see the creative power of God's Word as eight times Scattered throughout this account, it says it over and over and over again in a repetitive nature. It says this, God said, God said, God said, God said, and everything that He says is done by His own good will. God said, God said, and we see the creative power of God's Word. This highly impressed King David. Listen to what he said in Psalm 33.8. Stand in awe of God, for He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Oh, it impressed, it impressed David. This highly impressed the writer of Hebrews. It impressed him. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made which of things which are visible. 
That's Hebrews 11.3. The whole world's framed by the Word of God. That's why just a little bit earlier, the writer of Hebrews was able to say this, Hebrews 4.13, The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a powerful Word. And almost as a side note, I tell you, and you hold a Bible in your hand, you have a Bible. You have God-breathed words sitting in your lap. What are you doing with God's Word? God said, God said, God said, and it was so, and it was so. He's breathing galaxies into existence here. And you've got the God-breathed Word every day in your house, in your home. What are you doing with God's Word? In the creation account, we also see the authority of God. Not only the power of His Word, but we see the authority of God as five times like a pattern. This is what we read. We read, and God called. God said, it was done, and then God called. God called it. God called. Meaning He named it. He creates those things, and then He names them over and over and over again. He not only created the light, but He gave it a name. He not only created the darkness, but He gave it a name. He not only created the seas and the land, but He gave them names showing His authority. The naming of creation shows authority over what He has created. I had a little memory about my dad when I was younger uh, saying, boy, I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. As if I brought you in here, I named you, son. I have authority here. And of course, he's joking with me. But that's the case. He created us. He made us. And He lays down the names. He lays down the terms. This is the authority of God. This means God has authority over you and God has authority over me. You believe that? Do you believe that God has authority over you? Do you believe He has authority over you? And I hope you say, absolutely, because He made me. He made me. Yes, He has authority. Me. He made me. And, and yes, He has authority. He, he, he literally named the land that I live on, earth. He named the ocean that I swim in, seas. We'll see in a minute. God called them seas. He named the light that shines on me every day, the, the, the darkness that I go to sleep to, day and night. He named these things. Yes, this God has authority over me. And all God's authority shown in the creation account, is meant to exalt Him to you, to show you how great and powerful and mighty and authoritative our God is. In the creation account, we see the righteous judgment of God. You say, what do you mean? There's no sin yet, no judgment. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. In the creation account, we see God making righteous judgment. Why? Because seven times, like a pattern, throughout the creation account, we see Him say this, and God saw that it was good. Not only does He speak into existence, not only does He name it, but then He makes the observation, that's good. That is good right there. That is good right there. And He casts it all off with the last phrase, with, and it is very good. It's good. God created all things good. All things perfect. All things right. And this is how it will remain, right? Until man rebels and sins against the living God and brings sin and suffering and death into this world. At, at this point, okay, God will, at the point where sin and suffering comes in because man rebels against God, at this point, God will still have righteous judgment, except now it will not be in our favor. 
Now he'll no longer look at his creation and say, it is good. He'll look at it and say, there is none good. No, not one. And all of us will see, man, I need a Savior. Man, I need a Savior. At least I hope you'll see that. You need a Savior. So here's my point though. Overall, here's my point. The creation account is about the glory of God. It's about the exaltation of God. And I pray that we would see His glory as we go a little bit slower through these first five days of creation. Creation account, day one. Day one is found in verses one through five. Day one is found in verses one through five as it says on your sheet. What do we know about day one? Verse 1 and 2 kind of gives us a backdrop. This is what we talked about last week, okay? So the backdrop is God creates this earth. It's like this watery, it says formless and void. It's this kind of watery matrix, just watery mass, okay? Nothing, no land. You're not seeing land and stuff. It's a formless, empty, watery mass. And there's darkness over the earth because God has not lit it up yet. And in Genesis 1-2, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, ready to go to work. He's like, the first two verses, it's like, it's like the potter throws the clay up on the potter's wheel and he's ready to go to work, okay? Which brings us to verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. First act of business, what does God do? He shines light into this dark form called the earth. I want you to notice that He does not create the sun. That doesn't come till day four. So here we see the light that's shining upon the earth and energizing it and warming it up is emanating straight from God Himself. God says, let there be light. And that light finds its source in the presence of God. I want you to think about this. Psalm 104 is that, is that, it's like that creation psalm, Psalm 104. And so we get things like he laid the foundations of the earth and he stretched out the heavens. We get things like that in that psalm. And listen to what he says in Psalm 104. This is in verse 2. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment. Who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. So God says, let there be light. And suddenly, He's got light like a garment. And this light is flowing out of Him. Not even yet from the sun. Now this is uh, it's not that hard to believe, right? That there's light shining that God creates. It's emanating from Himself and not from the sun. From the sun. This is how the Bible ends. Right? This is how the Bible begins. This is how the Bible ends. With a light shining, yet no sun to be found. Because that's what it says in Revelation 21 and 22. That there's no need for the sun. For the glory of God illuminates it. And the Lamb is its light. This is how the Bible begins. How the Bible ends. Now this is amazing, right? Just think about light. God created light. What is it? How does it work? Why does it travel so fast? What is this... Light that God created. And I'm not here to give you a science lesson necessarily, okay? But I do want you to think about this. Without light, you can't see any other matter that's been created on this earth. Without light, you cannot see any other matter that is created on this earth. Which means we are totally dependent. Here's what I'm saying. 
all the other matter that you can look at. The only reason why you can see it because here's what God has done. The light hits it and it reflects into your eyes. And so you can see because of the light's reflection. This is the reason when you shut off the lights and you don't let any light come in from the outside, we can't see each other. And you can't see anything else because without the light, we can see nothing. And this is amazing. You think about what God has done. God creates light on this first day, first day, emanating from Himself, light from the, from the light of the presence of God. And just a few days later, He's going to create men and women like me and you who, who are created in such a way that we must have the light or we will die. We can't see anything. We can't function on this earth without the light. This is amazing, okay? Then it goes on, okay? I, I didn't read the whole passage. It goes on about midway through verse 4. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness He called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So God divides the light from the darkness. You catch it? He divides the light from the darkness. He does not totally eliminate darkness. He divides the light from the darkness. He doesn't just do away with darkness. He doesn't eliminate it altogether, but He lets it linger around. I wonder why He does this. In fact, when we read what we just read, He makes, before there's even a sun, before the celestial bodies even exist, He actually makes a succession of evening and morning, day and night, light and darkness every day. Every night you go to bed and you have this reminder that there was a time when it was dark and empty and void and nothing. And you wake up to the morning light and you remember that God Almighty said, let there be light. And it was done. So He didn't totally get rid of the night like He will one day, right? Remember like it says in, in Revelation 21-25, there shall be no night there. And we have this reminder that light poured forth. He opened His mouth and light was born. It poured forth. Not from an inanimate sun, but from the living God. Light came. Creation account day 2. Day 2 is found in verses 6-8. through eight. Verse 6 says this, Then God said, Let there be a firmament, or a better translation, there will be an expanse. I'm talking about the sky here. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. So what is this expanse that God creates? What is this? And we're talking about our sky, okay? This is our sky that we're talking about. Here we see God creating the beautiful blue sky that we had the privilege of waking up and looking at each morning. And here we see God creating this expanse. But then it says, He made an expanse that the, that you had the waters below the expanse. Okay, so the, the earth at this point is like this, this big watery mass, but it's almost like a massive ocean. It's one big sea. You don't see any land coming up, okay? And so you got just water. So the water's below. And then it says the sky separates from the waters which are above. Meaning the waters that are right now, even now, caught up in the clouds. The waters that are above. You ever thought about that? Think about this. Did you know that clouds, in essence, are massive collections of tiny water droplets and crystallized Water molecules. Did you know that? 
So this means that the whole process of evaporation, condensation, precipitation, it all has its roots right here when God made this expanse and divided the waters from below from the waters which are above. If you, if you don't know what in the world I'm talking about, evaporation, that process with the water, it, it turns into water vapor and ascends up into the sky and condensation where it turns back into liquid and, it's, and it groups together. And what we see is clouds now and precipitation is when it's poured back out on earth and this cycle just goes on and on and on and it's rooted in what God did right here. Now, I say that and if you're unimpressed, I want you to be rebuked by Jeremiah. Jeremiah saw the glory of this phenomenon. Okay, listen. Jeremiah 10, 11. The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He says false gods are going to perish. But He, the one true God, He has made the earth by His power. He has established the world by His wisdom. And it's stretched out the heavens at His discretion. So here He is. And He's talking about what? The creation of the world. He's talking about the creation of the heavens. The creation of the earth. And now He's going to zero in His worship to a pinpoint. And what does He talk about? Evaporation! Look at it. When He utters His voice, there's a multitude of waters in the heavens. Waters above the expanse and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth this astounded him so much that he repeats it again in jeremiah 51 16 when he god utters his voice there's a multitude of waters in the heavens he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth he makes lightnings from the from the rain he brings the winds out of his treasuries and he's rejoicing in this so Jake, we need more songs about evaporation. Okay? <laughs> the psalmist was impressed. Psalm 135, verse 7, verse 6 and 7. Listen. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. And where is He going to zero in that worship? He causes the water vapor to ascend from the ends of the earth. This is amazing. This whole system, and it's rooted in what God has done, is He makes this expanse in the heavens that separates the waters below from the waters above. I hope you remember that when you look at the clouds when you leave here. The rest of the verse I didn't read, verse 7. Thus God made the expanse and divided the waters which are under the expanse from the waters which are above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven or sky, as some of your versions say. So the evening and the morning were the second day. And I love how I love how Kent, Kent Hughes uh, ends this his description of the earth after the end of the second day. I like this description. He says, "The earth, warmed by light, was now robed in blue and dappled with clouds, floating over a sparkling sea." The picture is increasingly inviting. Day 3. The creation account day 3 is found in verses 9 through 13. Okay? First we're going to see God, He's going he's to form the surface of the earth into what we know it is land and sea. Right now it's this watery matrix He's going to form it into land and sea. Okay? Look at it, verse 9. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters He called seas. 
And God saw that it was good. I love this. So by the Word of God, the ground starts to shake and the waters above begin to bubble up. And all of a sudden, land begins to rise up in some places and lower in other places until that water falls into certain places called seas. Now you have land mass. You have a land area. And what you see is our God is the Creator of continents. Our God is the originator of oceans. And He does it all with the ease of a whisper. And that's the reason that the sons of Korah, they were able to say something like this. Listen, listen. We will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. He says, we won't fear. Why? Why won't we fear? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He was, he was God when the dry land appeared, and He'll be God if it gets cast into the sea. He says, therefore, I will not fear. God is my refuge. God is my strength. So now this is what we have. We've got the surface of the earth. It's land, it's sea, and, it's, and God okay, is about to make this land look beautiful. He's about to make it look as beautiful as the sparkling blue sea. And He's about to do that by creating green grass and towering trees, fields of flowers and mouth-watering fruit. And He's just going to create it in a moment just like that. Listen to, listen to the Word. Verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass. That's vegetation. In some of your versions, vegetation. And herb that yields seed. That's plants yielding seed. And the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb that yields seed according to its kind. The tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Think of the beauty that God Almighty produced in this moment of creation. You think about it. Fields of yellow and blue and purple, and red, trees with varieties of delicious fruits, rolling hills where deer will soon roam, incredible natural gardens and natural vineyards, and God just, just like that in a moment creates it all. All of this for His glory. All this for the good of His creation, the good of man. Now, other than the absolute beauty that God creates right here in this invention, uh, that he has called earth. Other than that, I want to highlight something else amazing about day three. He creates the seed. Did you see that language? Got this vegetation, these plants, and you got the trees with the fruit and the seeds in itself. He creates this thing called the seed. And y'all, the seed is powerful. It's a powerful creation of God. God creates vegetation, plants, and trees in such a way that they produce their own seed. And in that seed is the power for it to reproduce itself again and again and again. He creates the seed. And this is awesome. I want you to just think about it, okay? Be astounded. But if you're not astounded, there's somebody else going to rebuke you in here. Alright, in the Bible. You think about like a watermelon vine. And that's kind of biased. I use my favorite fruit. Okay? Why do you think it was watermelon? Fine. And it, and, and it produces, you take a watermelon, and how many seeds are in there? Anybody know? You can't count them, right? It's like all these seeds. 
Okay, I'm going to spit them out. There's so many seas, these little black seas that are in there. There's little white seas, little black seas. There. They're in this watermelon. How, how many of those seas does it take to start its own plant, you know? Just one. So one seed goes into the ground, creates this watermelon vine with multi... I remember seeing this when me and the Grisham used to do uh, uh, farming, uh, sort of. <laughs> we tried. He did it well. Anyway, I'm sorry. One seed produces this watermelon vine, and I remember seeing it. And you got all these watermelons, boom, they're popping up everywhere. And in every single one of them are multitudes of seeds in there. And every single one of those seeds has the, has the potential to start a whole new plant, which would bring about thousands of more seeds. And all those would have the power to start whole new plants, thousands of plants. Watermelon plants right there in that watermelon when you're looking at all those seeds. This seed is a powerful thing. It's amazing. This happens in many, many other ways. Me and, me and uh, my son watched a video on this just the other day about how God has created the seeds to spread itself in different ways. And I thought about all the times when you let the grass grow up and you pick that little thing and it's got the white stuff on it and you blow it and little frillies go everywhere. God just used you to plant seeds. You didn't even know it. it just looked pretty to you. This is amazing, okay? And in case that didn't amaze you, listen to Psalm 104, verse 14, because look what he says. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man that he may bring forth food from the earth. That's in a song. He's worshiping God for the grass. Alright. First three days of creation are complete. And here's what's happened. The problem that's presented to us in chapter 1, verse 2 the first half of it's been answered. Here's what I mean. He says, here's this earth. It's without form and void. Well, the first three days of creation form that earth, right? Forms it up. And then that last three days of creation that we're going to is about to fill it up. Okay, so it's forming the space. He's about to fill it up with stars and planets and other things. He, he formed the skies. He's about to fill it up with birds. He formed the ocean. He's about to fill it up with fish. And on and on and on. He's about to do the filling. So it was without form and without void. And it's about to be formed and filled. Okay, Day 4. My favorite day. It's hard not to stay here for a long time. Day 4 is in verse 14 through 19. Verse 14 through 19. Listen to verse 14 and 15. Just starting off. Listen. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmaments of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament to, to the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. So here God creates the celestial bodies. Stars, planets, other celestial bodies that occupy outer space, and He just creates them just like that. Okay, Men on this earth devote their whole lives to the study of these things. It's called astronomy. And God, with the ease of a word, just creates it in a moment. Men, these astronomers, these men trying to study it, it's like, it's like if somebody set themselves. Okay, this, is, this is how much they're getting done. Okay? It's like if somebody said, I'm going to study all the land mass on earth, all the dirt, all the land mass on earth, and then they spend 80 years on one grain of sand. And this is about how much work astronomers are getting done. And yet, God knows every single square inch of His creation. Every single bit of it. He created it in just a moment. Now, three reasons are given as to why God created these lights in outer space. Number one, to divide the day from the night. 
Number two, for signs and seasons and for days and years. Number three, to give light on the earth. Okay? So, you think about this. God has already created light and He's already created this succession of night and day, night and day, in day one. He's already done that. And here, it's as if He just simply passes the baton, right? To those who will now take on the production of that light that emanated from Him. It's like He just passes the baton. So this is what I mean. It's as if God created the mass of the multitude of stars. If you know how many there are. Okay? It's like God creates the mass of the multitude of stars in the heavens, including our sun, and and He calls the men to take stewardship of the light that emanated from Him. Come and take stewardship. Come rule over this light that I've already created. I want you to think about this. I wonder how many stars it will take. How many stars would it take to, to produce the amount of light pouring out of the living God? There's a little picture you, you need to go check out, okay? It's, uh, now I am talking a little science. Go Google Hubble and 10,000 galaxies. Go Google that. Don't do it now. But sometime, go, go Google Hubble and 10,000 galaxies. And I want you to think about that. If you look at that thing, I was showing my family this last night. We were standing and looking at the night sky and looking at the moon. And the place where they aimed Hubble, the, li- the little patch, they can't get the whole, they're going to get the whole sky, they can't do that. They have to take pictures somewhere. And so they zone in just beside the moon. So you can see the comparison beside the moon. And it's like holding a grain of sand up next to the moon in the sky. And that's the little bitty patch of sky that Hubble takes a picture of. And when that picture comes out because of the clarity that it had, you look at this picture and it's 10,000 galaxies. Meaning we have a galaxy that we live in with billions of stars. That number doesn't even mean anything to you. It's so ridiculous. Billions of stars in our galaxy. And this picture, got a, it got a picture of 10,000, not stars, but galaxies with billions of stars in each one. And that's in a grain of sand of sky right next to the moon at that time. What? And God said, I need something to, to, to steward this light shining from me. And so He summons the, these stars. I need all of this. Come on. And even that's not enough. Even that's not enough to rule over the light that shines from God. So it says here, these things in our sky, it says they're for signs. You see that? They're for signs. They're, they're, like, a, they're like a massive signpost saying, God is amazing! Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Look! Go look at that picture and it should be singing to you. And then it says these things are for seasons and for days and years. And it's awesome. All our time markers that we have on earth are connected back to, to, uh, to the celestial bodies and our planet's correlation with them. Okay, Our days, our months, winters, summers, all this kind of stuff. The only one that's not is the week. Because God created the week. It's where it came from. It's funny so many people celebrate the week and they don't even know where it came from. God's idea. The only one not connected to a celestial body. Because in seven days He created. Verse 16. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Okay? So, so God has already said, let there be. And now we're going to get some details into 
this stuff that he cre- created, that he made, okay? And so here's the details. And I just let me give you let me give some give you some specific details of these lights for the glory of God, okay? Number one is this the lesser light. In verse 16, the lesser light that rules the night is obviously the what? The moon, right? It's obviously the moon. Our moon is perfectly situated by God to reflect light back to the earth on that side of the earth that's not facing the sun. Perfectly set by God. It's awesome, okay? Perfectly set. Perfectly moving around the earth. It's perfect the way God set this whole thing up, okay? The moon is a massive rock, and if it sat down on the United States, it'd cover up the whole thing, and how fast do you think it's moving around the earth? This moon, this massive rock that would sit down on the whole United States, how fast do you think it's moving? It's moving, uh, you think 100 miles an hour? 2,288 miles per hour. And the earth is so big that it still takes a month for it to get around. It's just flying through the sky. The Bible calls the moon the faithful witness in the sky. And you go do what we did last night. Me and my family did last night. We stare at that thing. And we look at it. And it's a faithful witness in the sky saying, Our God is great. Our God is glorious. Our God is faithful. Look at what He has done. My daughter said, It doesn't look like it's moving that fast. (laughs) The greater light. The greater light that rules the day is obviously the what? It's the sun, right? That star and our solar that our whole solar system revolves around, right? That star, the sun, perfectly placed on this planet. We're perfectly placed, ninety-three million miles away from it, so we can be safe. And yet, not too far away, just perfect, so we can survive. This is what God has done. Let's ponder for just a second how big this thing is. Do you know how fast the Earth? Is traveling around the sun. Thousand miles an hour? Raise your hand if you said 2,000. How about 67,000 miles per hour? You can't even fast. There's no point in hardly saying it. You can't even hardly fathom that the earth is moving that fast. So it probably makes it around the sun pretty fast, right? No, because it's so massive that the only way they could get around it from the safe distance of 93 million miles away is a year. It's how long it takes the sun, excuse me, the earth to get around this sun. And I love it. It says you got the, the lesser light, the moon, the greater light, the sun. And then, and then it says, and he made the stars also. It's like a side note. This massive amount of stars, 10,000 galaxies in a grain of sand with billions of stars. And he says, he just made those also. Done. Just like that. And Psalm 147 says, He counts the number of stars and He calls them all by name. Can anybody here name a star? Somebody tell me the name of a star. Sun, that's cheating. You can't say sun. <laughs> anybody know no? No, you do. out of billions and billions of stars, you know one name. He counts the number of stars and He knows them all by name. Every single one of them. That's our God. 
And listen, you think about this, and just, just to pull back for a minute. The Israelites coming out of Egypt would not have known most of these things. That, 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 some of these things that I'm talking about, they would not have known all these details, okay, speed and stuff like that. They wouldn't have known that. But they, would have t- they could have taken their families out there and look into that night sky, and they begin to worship Almighty God, singing Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse shows His handiwork. So first God says, let there be. Then we get a record of what He made. Sun, moon, stars. And now we'll see in verse 17, starting in verse 17, that He places them exactly where He wants them. Look at it. God set them in the firmament of the heavens. God put them there. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the first, fourth, fourth day. What do we say to these things? All glory to the galactic God, right? All hail the Holy One who hurls the heavens into existence. We say all praise to the astronomical altar of all creation, right? You with me on that? All praise. Hail King Jesus. Hail our God. Praise our God. And listen to me very quickly. That our universe is so massive. I just want you to think about one more quick thing. Our universe is, is seriously so massive. It's so unimaginably huge. You cannot fathom it, okay? I don't know if you've ever done a little searching on that. But it's so massive that, that there are people, okay, leaders, pouring tons of money in to try to find out He's, they've got to be life somewhere else on earth, right? They're literally looking for E.T. They're looking for aliens. They'd rather believe there's aliens than to believe there's a God. And that's the reason that they're so massive. And, and honestly, if there's no God, it makes sense that there would be aliens or extra, extra or life somewhere else, right? Why would it be so massive, incredibly? Ten, we are one galaxy in a grain of sand. 10,000 galaxies, all of them with unimaginable distances and billions of stars, and that's just the grain of sand, okay? And so if you think about that for a minute, it's so big. If there is no God, it makes sense. Why would this be so big and we just be this little bitty thing and here we are with life? Why would we be the only ones? Well, they look for aliens because they don't understand that the Bible says the reason it's like that is for God's glory. He did it to shine forth His glory so we could see. This is all about the exaltation of God. Listen to Psalm 148, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. So He's got Him up in the heavens. Praise Him for all these galaxies. And then He comes down to our little level and He says, Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for He commanded and they were created. This is all about the praise of God. Day 5, and I'll go quick. Day 5 is verse 20 through 23. Well, we're going to see, okay, day 4, He fills up the heavens, and now we're going to see on day 5, He's going to fill up the skies with birds and fill up the oceans, the seas with sea creatures. Let's read it. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply 
Fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on earth so the evening and the morning, excuse me, were the fifth day. Now I have to confess something about this day. Okay? When I first started, when I initially started studying this day, I kind of had that same feeling that I used to get when I sang sang, uh, How Great Thou Art. Okay? You sing, I mean, this is just me. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying it's right, okay? But this is how, the way I felt. I'm singing How Great Thou Art. starts off, Oh Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder, consider all the worlds Thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. And man, I'm thinking about galactic, glorious God, okay? Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art. Okay, so I'm fired up over that verse. And then it's like, I get to that second verse and it says, Went through the woods and forest glades. I wonder, I see the birds? I'm not saying that's right, but that's the way I felt. I was like, oh man, I feel like it kind of went down. We would, I mean, honestly, we would even skip that verse sometimes. I wouldn't tell the kids, but I would skip that verse. I'd go straight to Jesus in verse 3. Okay? But here's what I'm saying. And honestly, and honestly, that's kind of how I felt initially, okay? I was wrong. But initially, man, I'm studying day four. I mean, this is amazing. And it's like, and you made the birds and the sea creatures, okay, in, in day five. Okay. But having meditated much on day five's creation and all these sea creatures and the birds of the air, I no longer think this way. Think of the incredible beauty and glory Even the sometimes disturbing images of creatures in the sea and these creatures in the air. You just think about it. And every single one of them, all its diversity is just screaming, our God is glorious. Our God is amazing. Our God is creative. Our God is above all gods. And you go look at them. And you go do that, okay? You think about this. From the largest largest sea creature... Okay, like like the uh, the blue whale. It's as long as three greyhound buses. Weighs four hundred and twenty thousand pounds, and fifty people can stand on its tongue. From the lar- <laughs> don't do that. From the largest sea creatures to the tiniest little thing, the tiniest little thing, and they all scream, "Our God is glorious." That's His idea. All of it's his idea. Or you think about it from the from the most majestic and beautiful bird in the sky to the most weirdest, creepiest thing. You ever heard of a um, what's that thing called? A sea sponge? I, I looked it up. It has no head, no mouth, no eyes, no feelers, no bones, no hearts, no lungs, no brain, but it is alive. <laughs> And I thought that is creepy. You got majestic birds and you got creepy uh, sea things or sponges. And all of it is doing what? Somebody say it. What's it doing? It's God's glorious. That's what it's doing, okay? Th- listen to Job. What if I ask Job, Job, what's all that stuff doing, Job? Job 12, verse 7, he says, But now ask the beasts, and they'll teach you. And the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In whose hand is the life of every living thing? Or ask the psalmist. Okay, you go ask that psalm writer in Psalm 4, what will he say? 
O Lord, how manifold are Your works! In wisdom You have made them all. The earth is full of Your possessions. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable, teeming things, living things both small and great, these all wait for You that You may give them their food in due season. Wow. That's God. And now I love day five. Alright, let me give you two on the back side of your sheet. Two, two big takeaways here, okay? We're going to go fast. Two big takeaways is this. I want to give you a gospel application and I want to give you a mission application. Just two takeaways. Gospel application and a mission application. So, for, for gospel application's sake, let's zoom out for a minute. I want you to think about the creation account sitting in the bigger picture, Okay? Do you realize that this, and I, talk with me seriously, okay? Again, I'll tell you this. I, I'm not, this is not professional preacher. I'm talking to you, okay? Speaking to you, okay? Do you realize that that God just described to you is the God that you will stand before one day and give an account? You think about that enough? That's the God, creator of the cosmos, originator of oceans. Author of all creation. And you're going to stand before that God and give an account. It's not some cutesy judgment okay, where you're going to explain to God how your life was. It's, not, it's, not, it's nothing like that. okay. You're coming before the God who breathes galaxies. You're coming before the God who controls gravity. Who holds the breath of life of every living creature in His hand right now as we speak. And you'll stand before Him one day. And listen, that is not good news if you're outside of Christ. It's not good news. You say, what's the problem? Listen, if you come before that God, even if you're totally innocent, you will tremble in fear before that God. Even if you're totally innocent just because of the awe-inspiring majesty of a God that speaks galaxies into existence. Okay? But then you add on top of that, you're not innocent. You are sinful. And you come before this God as one who has rebelled against Him. And the reason why your sin is so serious is because who it's against. You sin against the Creator. You sin against the God of the universe. This is the reason it is so so serious. And the only proper place for you to spend all of eternity after that judgment is that you go to hell forever. And that's fair. That is totally fair that this God, because you sin against Him, would send you to hell forever and ever and ever as you face the wrath of the Maker of all things. Okay? Romans 1.20 says this. Romans 1.20 says that because of creation... I'm going to read the exact verse here. It says, because of creation, it says this, you are without excuse. Because of what we just read and looked at, not only do you see it, but it has been read in your presence. You are without excuse before the Creator God. Look at all the things that He has made. You, you, have, you have zero excuse when you stand before Him. You will not say, I didn't know. You never get to say that. Ever. You will not be a victim before God. You will be a criminal before this God. The heavens declare. The heavens show it. Romans 1.20 says you are without excuse. Now, uh, a famous uh, 17th century mathematician, philosopher, scientist named Sir Isaac Watt. Excuse me, Sir Isaac Newton. 
He's a great scientist. You know, all scientists today, they, they uh, give homage to him, what he's done. Amazing thing he's done. Scientist Sir Isaac Newton. And he had a mechanical uh, replica. Okay, think about this. He had a mechanical replica of our solar system. And it, it was made in miniature, and it was just full of uh, spheres, these, you know, big sphere for the sun, and the spheres out here, these rods and these, uh, these uh, things they call cogs, and, and this stuff to make it spin on its own. It's this mechanical solar system that he created, okay, that he made. And one day, an unbelieving, an unbelieving friend stops by for a visit, and he begins marveling at this device. He's looking at this device that Sir Isaac Newton has made. And he's looking at it and he's marveling. And he says, Ma, Newton, what an exquisite thing. Who made it for you? And without even looking up, Sir Isaac Newton said, Nobody. He said, Nobody. And the guy says, he responds, Nobody? You mean nobody? And, and, and Newton says, That's right, I said nobody. All these balls and cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together and wonder of wonders, by chance they began revolving in their set orbits with perfect timing. (laughs) And I think his friend got the point. And his friend, what, what Newton was saying, is without excuse. You are without excuse. And you, not just his friend, but everybody here. I don't know all the faces here. You are without excuse when you come into judgment before the Creator God, do you, do you realize that? Okay? And here's the most amazing thing I've said to you all morning. I hope I've said some amazing things. Okay? But here's the most amazing thing that I have said to you all this Sunday morning. Listen, the Creator of the universe actually entered into His creation to rescue us. Everything else I've said about galaxies and all that is small fries compared to this statement. The Creator of the universe has entered into His creation to rescue us, to save those who would come to Him. John chapter 1, verse 1-3, through three, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And it's obvious. You go read it. It's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. It says... All things were created through Him. And nothing that was created without Him. He's the Creator of all things. And in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Creator of the cosmos came and dwelt among us to rescue us. We deserve hell forever before Him. That's what's fair is that we get hell. And yet He comes in loving mercy and He goes to the cross for our sins. And the death and the wrath of God that's supposed to fall down on us forever and ever is bought up into one and is poured out on Jesus instead. The Creator took your punishment. The Creator took your wrath. He came to save. He came to die. And three days later, He rises from the grave as Lord of all. And even now, He's seated on His throne, ascended on high, Lord of lords, King of kings. Every knee must bow. Every tongue must confess. And listen to what He does for everybody who turns to Him. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. Flip with me. For everybody who turns to Him, for everybody that comes to that Christ who entered into the Creator, that entered into the creation, listen to what He does. I want to share two verses with you out of 2 Corinthians. One out of chapter 4, one out of chapter 5. What does God do for those who come to Christ? Listen to verse 6. 
It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Y'all remember that? Day one, right? It's that God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Has that happened to you? No professional preacher, I'm asking you. Has that happened to you? Has the light of the glory of God shone into your heart? Has it really happened to you? It says to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Has that happened to you? That you see Jesus as glorious. That the glory of God, you worship Him. He's not just a fact on a page. But you love Him and you worship Him. Has that really gone down in your heart? This is what He does for those who come to Him. Look at chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We just read about a creation. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Has that happened to you? I plead with you to examine yourself. I'd love to just know that you would examine yourself on that. Have you become a new creation in Christ? Has the God that commanded light to shine out of darkness newly created you? This is what He does for those who come to Him. It's awesome. It's glorious. Last, last thing here. I want to give a quick mission application. Okay, for, for, If you're here, okay, and you are a new creation. Here you are. You're a new creation of Christ. You know it from everything I'm asking you right now. You know it. You're a new creation. Well, listen. God has given you a mission. Preach the Word. Make disciples. Preach the Word. Make disciples. And I desire that everybody here feel helped. Helped, really. By the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. So ask yourself the question. Are you on mission for God? Are you on the mission of God? Are you actively sharing the Word and making disciples? Are you, are you moved in? I, I know you have failures. I know you have weaknesses. So do, we all do. But are you moved in actively preaching the Word, sharing the Word, making disciples? So let, let me, I want the creation account to encourage you. So if you say this, if you say, if you say, I feel too weak, do you feel too weak for the task? Do you feel too weak for the task to preach the Word and make disciples? Well, listen to how Isaiah applied the creation story to his own life. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, he says this, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And listen to what He does. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. So I say to all new creations in the room, preach the Word. Make disciples. Our God has created all things. He infused life and light into a lifeless and dark world. And He will help you. He'll give power to the weak. And I want you to be encouraged to believe that. Or maybe you feel like this. Maybe you just feel like, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. The mission. There's this mission Jesus put me on. And I cannot do it. Listen to how the writer of Psalm 121 applies the creation account to his life. He says this, I lift my eyes to the hills. 
Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made, that's creation, who made the heavens and the earth. So I say to all who are new creations here, preach the Word. Make disciples. Cast all excuses far from you. Do not let them hold you back because your help is found in the One who owns Jupiter and every bird on the planet. And your help comes from Him. You feel like you don't have the tools for the task. Go read it one, one more. I said one more. I'm sorry. Another one more. Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> Luke chapter 8. Let, let's say you're thinking that. I, mean, I just feel like I don't have the tools. I don't have the tools to be on the mission to preach the Word and, and to make disciples. I just don't have the tools for the task. Listen, listen to this verse. I'm going to give you two verses. One I want you to flip to and the other one I'll read. Luke 8.11 says the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. And listen to this. Don't flip there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. So the incorruptible seed through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Come down a little bit. This is the Word which by the Gospel was preached to you. We're talking about the Word of God. The Word of the Gospel. And that's the seed. And you remember how a minute ago I said how powerful that thing was? And that reminds us, right? I want you to be encouraged by the creation account about the mission. You dive back into Genesis chapter 1 and you think about God wants to say something about Himself. God wants to teach us things. There's things in there that I, I, I missed. You know, I'll see them. God willing, He'll show me later. But I see in there that He created this seed. That in every plant, every tree, it has its fruit, the seed in it. And that seed has the potential in it to produce a whole new plant or a whole new tree with thousands of seeds that can produce more life and on and on and on it can go. You see how powerful a seed is? And what I'm telling you is these verses just said, the seed is the Word of God. This is the Gospel which by... This is the Word which by the Gospel was preached to you. The seed is this Gospel. The seed is this Word. And you have it. So let us go out into the mission. Zero confidence in ourselves. Don't have confidence in yourself. You say, I can't. don't feel like I can do it. I don't feel like I have the tools. Well, praise the living God because He is almighty and powerful. He will help you and He's given you the seed of His Word. The seed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And you carry something so powerful that can reproduce and save souls and reproduce and save souls again and again and again. I hope you're encouraged by that from the mission. Alright, let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that this passage is mainly to exalt how great You are. And I just pray, God, that You would, you would make us a church of worshipers, true worshipers that worship You in spirit and truth, that worship You with all our hearts. God, we want to turn away from this coldness, that, 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 that this honoring You with our lips, but our hearts far away. God, we want to turn away from it, God. And we've been asking You from the very beginning that You would do it, God. And I just continue to ask You, God, do it, Lord. Turn us away from coldness and dryness and our hearts being far from You. But give us hearts of flames, uh, inflamed with Your glory. Give us hearts, God, on fire for You that loves You with a deep passion. God, give us that. And God, we just praise You that, that, that we want more, Lord, but to a degree, You have done that. 
You have done that, God. You have increased our love for You. You've increased our worship. You've grown us as worshipers of You. And I praise You, God. And I just say, please, Lord, do it more so. Because You're worthy of more than we know we could ever give. And God, if there's anybody here that doesn't know You, and Lord, You know their heart, You know their thoughts right now, You know... You know every little thing going on inside of them. There's nothing about them you don't know. And I just pray, God, that as the sovereign Lord of their life, even though they reject You, that You would come in and bring conviction on their lives of their sin and they would turn to You, Lord Jesus, for salvation. God, save souls in this room this morning. I pray You would... If anyone here doesn't know You, God, I pray that You would press it on them. Even right now as I pray to You, God, that You would press it on them that You are sovereign even over the seat that they're sitting in right now. That You have them here even for a reason. And God, I pray that they would turn to You. God, save souls this morning. And God, I pray for us as a church being on this mission, God. Let us go out with the seed of Your Word. With the seed of Your glorious Gospel. And let us preach it with all our hearts, God. And God, I just ask You to use us for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.